What's up, college football fans? You have found the Lions College Football Podcast for week 11 in college football. My name is Steven Andrus, joined each and every week on this show by Brett Gibbons, the Lions College Football Writer. On this episode, we are going to look at futures, including odds to make the college football playoff after the first number one team in the CFP poll, Tennessee, goes down and handily to Georgia on the road. We will also look at some other games on the Week 11 slate, let you know what Brett is betting in those, what to look out for, and uh, a little bit of upheaval here, Brett, already after that big SEC matchup between Georgia and Tennessee. But uh, not necessarily the end of the road for Tennessee here either. No, the market is still very, very high in Tennessee. If you look at DraftKings Sportsbook, their prop to make the college football playoff still sits at minus 240. Wow. Uh, And we've seen the precedent laid out by by the committee. Um, There actually has been non division champions that have made the college football playoff Ohio state in 2016, Alabama, the following year, um, neither of them won their division that year, but they still made it in. And I think that goes along with their pseudo merit based when it needs to be, but best teams when they want it to be kind of strategy, uh, when ranking these teams, Georgia and Ohio state are the only other two teams that have, uh, you know, a better than, or, yeah, shorter, shorter than even odds, the you know negative odds uh, to make the playoff. That's no surprise. Georgia's a lock, barring just some ridiculous collapse. Even if they lose the SEC championship game to LSU or Ole Miss or whoever it may be, they're definitely still going to be in. And Ohio State, the reason they're so high is because they control their own destiny. You know, as long as they don't lose, they're going to be in. Um, if you look at Tennessee's remaining schedule, they have Missouri, South Carolina, Vanderbilt left. They're not go. They're most likely not going to play in the SEC championship game after their loss to Georgia. So their odds of winning out are very high. Uh, they're going to be double digit favorites in every single one of those games. Um, I don't anticipate any of those really being all that close. Maybe Missouri. We'll see. But it's interesting because Tennessee is five. They're not in the top four. A team that is in the top four is TCU. And currently their odds to make the college football playoff are plus 700. They're in the top four. They have a very clear path to winning a Big 12 championship game and finishing their season undefeated. Teams that are higher than them, UCLA. UCLA already has a loss in their schedule. USC, who has a loss in their schedule. Clemson, after getting their clocks cleaned by Notre Dame. And two-loss LSU. And I know the LSU thing is they have a little bit more direct path to a conference championship. If LSU wins the SEC championship, they will be the first two-loss team to make the playoff. But TCU plays at Texas this week. This is a big game. We'll talk about the game later on. But then they have Baylor and Iowa State to close. I don't see a real big spot where TCU will lose. I, I mean, well, besides Texas, who do we know from the Big 12 that can even beat TCU? It, it, nobody, because nobody has yet. So I'm not worried about the Big 12 championship. And it's just, maybe this is a hedge against the voters, but the voters put TCU forth. It, it proved that our upheaval our, our our unrest about tcu being excluded uh, and and put seventh last week matters and that the committee heard that so those are two very interesting teams i probably wouldn't bet the no side of tennessee i think it's plus 195 i probably wouldn't do that just because again their their odds of winning out are pretty high uh and we know that the committee will probably put them in the the big thing is ohio state and michigan play each other they're two and three and if it's too lopsided a game, I believe the loser doesn't make the playoff. So that paves the road for Tennessee. 
that also pays uh, the road for TCU as, as long as they don't go into Austin and lose this weekend. Again, we'll talk about it. It's just an interesting market to see the teams that are ahead of TCU. So I want to play this out real quick before we move on to the, the week 11 slate here, because I think there's a, a better betting strategy if you want to bet TCU to win the playoff as opposed to just taking this plus 700 uh, to make the playoff, I should say. So Georgia, um, Ohio State, Michigan winner, and um, who's the other team I'm, I'm blanking on? I would here. say Tennessee. Yeah, so, all right, so you have two pretty much locked in there, Georgia, Ohio State. Um, Tennessee, if it's one loss and the SEC champ is two loss Bama or two loss LSU, then then they're probably not getting in because Tennessee beat both of those teams and their only loss is to, uh, the only loss is to Georgia. So if you believe that TCU can get in, first of all, my question to you is, can they get in with one loss, TCU? No. I'm not sure they can. So we're aligned that the only way TCU gets in is if they're undefeated, correct? Yeah. So you could bet plus 700 for them to make the playoff. Or if you believe TCU is going to go undefeated, you can get better odds, in my opinion, just betting them on the money line each week rest of the way. They're plus 225 underdogs against Texas this week. The following week, they're going to be probably – Plus money, slight plus money at Baylor, I would think. Maybe maybe a little less than even money at, at best if we're being generous here. Uh, that's not an easy game. And then they're probably going to be pretty decent favorites against Iowa State the final game. And then you have one more game in the Big 12 championship game, correct? So yeah. that's at best probably going to be a situation where they – they're not going to be heavy favorites in the in the Big 12 title game. So if you were to just bet them on the money line each week, you're going to get a much better payout through four games than you would at seven to one for them right now to make the college football playoff. So I'm just saying mathematically, that's the better way to, to bet TCU here to make the playoff as opposed to just taking the plus 700 on them to make the playoff. Now, those odds theoretically bake in a chance for them to make the playoff with one loss. But Brett, you and I are agreed that they're not making the playoff with one loss with the other teams that are out there. Yeah, I, I agree. That's, that's a, that's a really interesting strategy. Um, definitely play that back to everyone listening. Go, go back and listen to that again. Uh, Cause that, that's very interesting. Yeah. It, it, there's no, there's no chance. I mean, the, the committee has already kind of told us that TC is operating on a razor thin margin. I mean, their, their resume is better than Ohio state's. So if we're doing, resume merit-based or most deserving TCU should be number two but the committee has already said we're not going to include you before okay fine you yelled at us fine we'll include them four here happy so I I think if they drop the game at Texas even if it's a double overtime you know last second field goal shootout and they go on to win the big 12 championship barring some crazy upset of Tennessee or Michigan and Ohio State just any of that I I don't I I can't imagine that they're going to get in anything short of undefeated big 12 champions. So last question here, before we move on to the the slate, yeah. if TCU does lose a game and we're looking at Georgia, Ohio state and tennis, one loss, Tennessee is as three of the four teams. Then who do you see as the fourth team in your mind? Is it a one loss Michigan who lost to Ohio state? Is it 
a one loss Pac-12 champion? Who in your eyes is or is it a two loss SEC team? And we have three SEC teams in the college football <laughs> playoff. You know, I, I mean, the whole country would be just shouting at their TVs if that happens. But um, what is the most likely scenario here for you? If if our given is Georgia, Ohio State and Tennessee hold their form the rest of the way, who's that fourth team if TCU has one loss? Well, I don't think it'll be the SEC team just because the committee, whether they'll admit it or not, does have it in mind, the the national repercussions of what would happen if they had a three-team playoff, you know, controversially. Uh, it kind of, it just depends on the resume. Like, it, it's, it's, tough. it's tough to That's say. A, that, it's a tough question. Yeah, like the Pac-12 team maybe. It depends. If Michigan gets blown out by Ohio State, which I don't think will happen. If, if they lose by 20, it won't be Michigan. If it's a three-point game and it's a I'll great game, high ratings, why, why wouldn't you have the, the, the run it back with Ohio State and Michigan playing each other? I, I would tend to agree with that, and it's going to be a really interesting debate if it's one loss Michigan who only lost to Ohio State or it's one loss Oregon as a conference champion whose only loss was week one to Georgia, even though they got their their doors kicked in 49 to three. So, but I'm not sure Oregon's going to go unbeaten. They're going to have to play Utah. It will be at Autzen, but um, I'm not sure Oregon's going to beat Utah and USC in the Pac-12 title game. But if they do, then they're clearly deserving, in my opinion, over a one loss TCU. Um, so I think the path is there for multiple teams in the Pac-12 over a one-loss TCU. And then we're just, I mean, it, you said it last week. We have no idea what criteria the committee's using here. It's like every year they make up a different set of criteria here. So de- deciphering who of those one-loss teams is going to get in is a really interesting discussion. But I guess I would lean towards the one-loss Pac-12 champion in this case. If it's Oregon, definitely. Yeah, that, that that's a good point you have. And it's it's shown that that game against Georgia, you know, on the road across country, brand new head coach, brand new quarterback, all those things that if you ran the game back today, it probably wouldn't be 49 to three. And I think the committee recognizes that. So, yeah, I, you know what you talked me into? I think I would probably lean Oregon in that. Um, a, qu- a quick fun note, though, about that Oregon Georgia game. They had the same EPA per play margin over Oregon that Georgia did over Tennessee before the rain started falling. So even though it didn't show on the scoreboard, uh, I have to shout out uh, at stats of war on Twitter for that one, for that bite. Um, even though it didn't show in the final scoreboard, the metrics say that the first half of that Georgia Tennessee game was as lopsided as the Georgia Oregon game. Just throwing that out there. Yeah, and one last note, Oregon and USC have not played each other this year. So if they play in the Pac-12 title game, that right. I think that is a spot where it becomes winner into the playoff if they both have one loss. So it's it's fascinating. It's it's the best part about the college football season is trying to figure out who's going to play in this thing. And um, there certainly are some juicy odds out there if you can un- if, if you can decode the committee uh, each and every year. That is that is for sure. All right, let's get into the college football slate here. We are going to look at games on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We are still in the midst of 27 consecutive days of football, and we begin on Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern time. This one on CBS Sports Network. Kent State at Bowling Green, 7 p.m. kickoff, as I mentioned, 55 and a half total. Kent State a two and a half point road favorite here after you went to their friendly confines a week ago, Brett. So how do you like this one? 
Is there a little bit of bias in this one? Why I put it on there? Of course there is. I had to talk about Bowling Green at some point this year. Um, this is a really interesting game. Probably the best matching game on the Wednesday slate. Uh, you got Buffalo, Central Michigan, you know, and, and NIU, Western Michigan. Uh, let's talk about Kent State's top receiver, Dante Sivas. He didn't play last game. And visibly, the offense just could not get it going without him. You could tell that Colin Schley didn't have anybody downfield that he could go to. Uh, but I... I haven't heard anything about it because it's in it's incredibly difficult to find uh, injury updates on Mac players, but it kind of points to that he's playing this week um, and that's fine. So the, the Kent State offense should have a bigger rebound um, this week than they did over last week. Uh, but Kent State also plays up and down to their competition. So an example, you look at the, when they played Georgia and when they played Toledo, they scored a lot of points and they lost close. But then they played Miami, Ohio and Ball State where they didn't score a lot of points and they also lost close. So it's kind of a team that plays to their opponent. Um, if you look at Bowling Green, they're on a three game win streak. They have a very good defense. Uh, I, I believe in all uh, all American caliber middle linebacker and Darren Anders. And they also have a terrific defensive lineman, Carl Brooks, who is, I believe, second in the nation in sacks right now, which is great. They have a similar defensive havoc rating to Clemson and Cincinnati. Just putting that out there. I know that's a, it's a different uh, set of opponents that they're playing different competition, but you know, the, the numbers aren't lying there that they're a very good defense. Uh, they are good enough to slow Kent state's offense down. Let's just put that out there. They, they just are. Um, we've seen in wins this year and their last three wins, Bowling green is allowing 13.3 points per game, uh, and 19.8 points per game in all of their wins. That includes an overtime win against Marshall, um, and another win earlier in the season, in losses, they're allowing almost 47 points per game. And that's tough because they played at Mississippi State. They played uh, UCLA. Um, and, and then they allowed 59 points to Eastern Kentucky in like 55 overtimes. Uh, their only MAC loss this year, they allowed 38 points to Buffalo. But it's not a surprise to, to hear that, you know, when they win, they allow fewer points than when they lose. But when you look at the margins in when they win and when they lose, it's very clearly they win on defense and they lose when their defense doesn't show up. Uh, Kent State doesn't feel the defense. We know this. Uh, they're one of the worst metrically in the entire nation. But Bowling Green's offense really isn't good. They're not a threat to kind of push the ball downfield. They're 119th in overall EPA per play, 127th in rushing, 107th in yards per play. Uh, quarterback Matt McDonald has cut down severely on the turnovers, but he's still not an inspiring quarterback, and he might have the worst throwing motion in the country. It makes my shoulder hurt just watching him. So because we have a good defense um, and a not as good offense, uh, we, we're basically playing two half teams here. I'm looking to play under 55 and a half. I think Bowling Green in the Doit in Bowling Green, Ohio can slow down Kent State just enough to where Kent State's not going to be scoring 35, 40 points. And uh, I, I don't believe Bowling Green is, is going to be matching either of those numbers either. Thursday night football in the college ranks. Tulsa at Memphis. This one at 7.30, kickoff on ESPN. Memphis, a six-and-a-half point favorite. Total of 61-and-a-half in this one. A lot of points expected again for this. And Tulsa is without their defensive coordinator. Is that what I'm right, seeing he, here, Brett? So, so the, they, they had everyone... Pulled, pulled away this offseason. Everyone got hired away. Joseph Gillespie is a terrific defensive coordinator. He got hired by Sonny Dykes at TCU, whose defense has struggled but improved from last year. And 
from with Gillespie to without Gillespie, uh, Tulsa's gone from a scrappy team that's an upset waiting to happen to just completely non-competitive. They're kind of hard to watch this year. They're one of the worst rushing defenses in the country. Again, that goes to show that Gillespie really is a terrific coordinator and they're really severely missing him. Uh, they're 120th in yards per rush allowed, over five and a half. It's, it's ridiculous. Their wins this year... Temple, Jacksonville State, who's in the FCS, and Northern Illinois, that uh, who might be the worst team in the MAC right now. Uh, Tulsa does have a pretty good quarterback, though. Davis Brin, he has uh, 17 passing touchdowns, seven interceptions. Just an overall solid quarterback. Not a high completion percentage, but he propels them to wins. And Memphis's defense is just terrible against the pass, which is great. They're 93rd in opposing passer rating allowed. Um, Memphis, they, they win games that they should. They also lose games that they should. They don't really have an upset, but they don't really have a terrific win under their belts. Uh, they've lost four in a row, but here's the thing. They've lost to Houston by one who I know Houston isn't playing great football, but they're a decent team. Uh, they lost to East Carolina. Who's one of the biggest surprises uh, of the year. They lost in overtime. They lost to a top 22 lane team only by 10 points on the road. And they lost to UCF by a touchdown. And UCF is playing, I believe, the best football in the group of five. We'll talk about that soon, too. The aggregate ratings like Memphis, minus nine and a half. So I'm probably going to be pulling Memphis as long as they stay under a touchdown. I saw some steam on six and a half this morning at FanDuel, I believe it was. Uh, and FanDuel is one of the sharper college football books. So I, I'm pretty confident in saying that Memphis is a decent enough team and Tulsa it's a very bad team. Memphis is playing at home. I, I just I like Memphis as long as they stay under a touchdown here. Friday night in college football, eight o'clock kickoff on ESPN two. East Carolina at Cincinnati. The Bearcats are a five point favorite in this AAC showdown. Total of 52 and a half. Forget about the high school football. We got some college football action under the Friday night lights. Brett, what do you like about this one? This is a Big, big, big game. And mm. I, I wouldn't have thought about that being such a huge game earlier in the year, but really these two teams are still in the hunt for the conference title. And so this is kind of a loser leaves town game, not quite to the same extent, but the loser of this game is probably out of the AAC race. So the numbers also all over the place. Uh, as of Wednesday morning, it was five and a half at DraftKings, four and a half at bet MGM minus five, but even money at Caesars. It's just kind of all over the place uh, at DraftKings. It did hit six and a half earlier this week, but then uh, East Carolina had some buyback. Cincinnati, they're not as good as last year. We know that. That's obvious. But they're still a very good team. They lost to Arkansas in week one, and then they lost to UCF two weeks later. End of list. Uh, two very good teams that they lost to. And again, Arkansas is playing a lot better football in week one than they are now. They do also have my probably my favorite defensive player in the country, Ivan Pace Jr. Uh, he should be an All-American. If he's not, it's a total snub. Just a complete beast through. He's athletic. He hits hard. A sure tackler. He's good in the passing game. Um, and I think he's probably the best player on Cincinnati's entire roster. But the biggest issue with Cincinnati is on offense that they can't run the football. They haven't been able to. They can't run against anybody. Uh, it's they're like 120th in, in rushing success rate, rushing efficiency. Just it's kind of a tough watch. But uh, they do have a very good passing game. And that's with quarterback Ben Bryant, who transferred in. Uh, and then Tyler Scott, who we've talked about him on the show before. Electric receiver takes the top off of defenses. East Carolina stacks pretty well uh, stacks up pretty well against the run but they're really bad against the pass they're 117th in passer rating allowed and I think that's why you see Cincinnati favored in this one 
um, by as much as they are. So I think Cincinnati's going to be able to move the ball through the air. They just abandon the run. Just don't don't even try. I don't want to have to <laughs> deal with that watching that. Um, and with East Carolina, all the talk is around their quarterback, Holden Ehlers, but the talk should be around running back Keaton Mitchell. He was a 1000 yard rusher last year. He's electric. He, he is the best player, I think, on this field on offense. Um, and East Carolina is coming off a bye. Now, all that said, you're playing in Nippert Stadium at night. Uh, it's on primetime. It's on national TV. Cincinnati is ready to play. So as long as Cincinnati stays under a touchdown, I, I don't love these kind of dead zone spreads. I don't, I don't like when it's minus four and a half, minus five, minus five and a half. It's more exciting to me when they're pushed up against those key figures of three, seven, even six to a degree. But as long as it stays under a touchdown, I think I lean Cincinnati in this game. Let's move on to the Saturday slate of college football. We have a half dozen games to get through here, and we'll start with the noon kickoff window on ESPN. LSU off of the amazing, dramatic two-point conversion win in overtime over Alabama in Death Valley at night. Our own Matt Brown was there. Can't wait to talk to him on the Megapod about what that experience was like. Uh, Awesome stuff from what we saw on TV. But this week, they go on the road. LSU, a three-point road favorite against Arkansas, over-under of 64 in this one. And off of such a big, dramatic win that puts them back into the SEC title game conversation, Uh, They have to stay focused here this week, Brett. Yeah, and that's not easy at 11 a.m. in Razorback Stadium. I've been to Razorback Stadium for an 11 a.m. kickoff. And if things don't go right at first, there's really no juice, no atmosphere. Uh, I'm going to go off the rails here from the betting, but Razorback Stadium is set up in a way that makes it difficult for people to get into the stadium. They have small gates and they have few gates. So these lines get really long, gets backed up. That means late arriving crowds. And that's actually seriously important for a team that needs to get uh, on it off the bat. I actually think it hurts LSU a little bit more because this is a major letdown spot. It's probably going to be a late arriving crowd. It's probably going to be a pretty sleepy crowd at 11 a.m. Even though LSU is a big opponent, Arkansas is coming off of that loss against Liberty. And that really takes the wind out of the sails of the fans. I don't like this for LSU. And if I don't like this for LSU, LSU fans shouldn't like this for LSU. This is a terrible, terrible spot. Uh, Jane Daniels in his career, I obviously played uh, Arizona state, but like he rarely plays in cold weather. And this is going to be a very cold kickoff. The highs are only going to be around 30, maybe 35 at the highest during this game. And uh, Jane Daniels has played exactly two games in his career. When the temperature has been under 40, that was both at Oregon state. And he lost both of those games. Not that that's a trend you can take and project in here, but it's just an interesting note. A lot of the sharp plays are on Arkansas uh, in this one. Plus three, plus two and a half. Uh, The line did move a little bit to LSU, probably because there's enough people saying, well, they're a much improved team, which is true. Uh, You know, that's how Brian Kelly kind of conducts his teams. They improve as the season goes on. I I just, I hate this situationally. I wouldn't touch the side with a 40 foot pole. And I, I would not be surprised to and you be careful with my words, see LSU lose. Are you telling me that the Arkansas crowd is too busy having their brunch mimosas in the parking <laughs> lot to get in for an 11 a.m. kickoff? Is that what you're trying to tell me? Here? It's it is. It, it does have to do with the fact that they are at the tailgates and that it takes a minute to get in. But it seriously like I was told I got in the stadium early. I was told to get in the stadium at least an hour early to kickoff because those <laughs> crowds will just bunch up. There's only like four or five entrances and they're really small entrances. And so this crowd, 
this this stadium will not be full at kickoff. It might fill up as time goes on, especially not the student section. But yeah, it, it's it's going to be quiet to start the game and a quiet start. It's going to be a cold morning. Takes a minute to get those muscles warmed up, get in the groove of things. This is this could be one of those games where LSU lets Arkansas hang around. And I hate teams that let teams hang around. It's my number one. Do not let teams hang around, especially home teams, bad, worse home teams. Do not let them hang around because if you do, they're going to bite you at the end and you're going to lose games. Let's move to the 3.30 kickoff window here, Eastern time on Saturday. This one on ESPN2, UCF at Tulane. Tulane is a two-point home favorite, total of 54 in this one. And with such a big slate of college football games, Brett, I know it's not as juicy as it was last week, but uh, when you circle UCF Tulane out of all the other games that everybody's going to be watching on Saturday, there must be something specific that you like in this game. Well, it's because they're two they're two ranked teams, and this is for the battle of the uh, the AAC right now. The winner of this is in control of it, and Tulane has been playing terrific football. The only loss that they have this year is in a severe letdown spot after they upset Kansas State. Otherwise, they've been playing rock solid, uh, and and the rankings are reflecting that they're in the top twenty now. That that's great. Um, this probably should have been where game day could have gone, but they didn't. But that's fine. Uh, it's it's game day in our hearts. Power ratings actually favor UCF by 1.6 on the road, which is interesting considering Tulane is favored by two. Uh, mm-hmm. And the reasons that the power ratings like UCF is because they're excellent. They've been playing great, uh, great football lately. They're actually the number one red zone defense. They're only allowing scores, touchdowns or field goals on 61.8% of trips, less than 62%. So that means they're almost 38% of the time, over 38% of the time, Teams are coming away with zero points in the red zone against UCF. And that's a big deal. Um, I think that, you know, I like to look at red zone scoring. I like to look at red zone defense and third downs. So shifting over to third down, Tulane is a very good uh, third down team on defense. They're allowing, I think they're 40th in the nation in opposing conversion rate. But UCF is a top 20 team when converting third down. So already we're looking at UCF. Excellent uh, in red zone defense and excellent converting third downs. Those are two things I like to look for in winners. Um, and UCF has just kind of shown me a little bit more this season. Uh, when they lose, it's because John Rice Plumley is turning the ball over at an exceptionally high rate. And Tulane doesn't really force a ton of turnovers. And they've had a lot of turnover luck. They're, they're recovering in above average number of fumbles. And they're forcing interceptions, which is pretty skill-based, but you know does fall on the quarterback's shoulders a bit. Uh, a much more above average interception rate. So turnover luck. Uh, you know, uh, just kind of a rock solid UCF team here. Excellent quarterbacks don't really hurt UCF. Um, they've played against a bunch of them and Tulane does field Michael Pratt, who's excellent, but usually those excellent quarterbacks aren't the ones that are beating UCF. It's usually beat UCF beating themselves. That's an option that could happen in this game, <laughs> but I don't know if I'd factor the fact that UCF could or could not beat themselves into handicapping this game. And uh, Yulman Stadium, it's it's one of the newer ones in the in the FBS that's home to Tulane. Uh, one of the smaller ones. It's not really a daunting atmosphere. I think it sits about 30,000. Um, yeah, I, I've been there. It's, it's just not the biggest. You know, it's not Death Valley. It's, UCF plays in much tougher spots. They Their own stadium themselves is a much tougher spot to play than Yulman Stadium. So I think I'm looking for UCF outright. And DraftKings has plus EV on their money line at plus 115. If you do the conversion, uh, two, two and a half points uh, comes out to about 112 on the money line. So if you're looking at a 115, I'm comfortable pulling that. I like UCF here. Uh, Tulane's fun. 
I think the run's over. You're listening to the Lines.com Podcast Network. Looking for the latest player props and the best betting odds from the top U.S. sports books all in one place? Then join us right here every day this season for free picks and best bets from the sports betting experts you can trust. Check out the Lines.com NFL Megapod as Matt Brown, Stephen Andrus, and Adam Candy break down every game for this weekend's football slate. Join the Coast to Coast podcast crew Mondays through Fridays as Nate Weitzer and Josh Lander bring you the best player props and game lines for Major League Baseball, the NBA, and the NFL. And tune in to Beat the Closing Line twice a week as Nicole Russo, Mo Nawara, and Eli Hershkovich dive into NFL opening lines, plus special guests from the sports betting world. So subscribe, rate, and review to the Lines Podcast Network, the source you can trust to make you a better sports better. Still in the 3.30 p.m. kickoff window Eastern time, this one on FS1 in the Big Ten, Wisconsin at Iowa. Wisconsin, a one-and-a-half-point road favorite. I God, I just looked at the total, and I am dumbfounded because <laughs> here we are again in an Iowa game with a total of 35. <laughs> 35, Brett. Why are we watching this game? Why are we betting this game? Why Why am I driving eight hours to watch this game in Might person? Well watch paint dry on the wall, man. What are we doing here? I, I actually put a poll out on social media, uh, and it is a legitimate which one is going to be higher number. Kind of a joke, but kind of not. The point total... Or the temperature that day because it's only going to be in the <laughs> mid, it's only going to be in the mid thirties. Um, I will be there. I'm actually really looking forward to it. It's probably going to be miserable, but um, I was asked if I lost a bet on the Discord server um, to go to this game. But yeah, it's fine. These they two have teams good are actually, drinks in the parking lot. I'm sure. <laughs> you know what? These two teams are actually trending in decent directions, and I say that knowing what Iowa puts out on the field. Hear me out here. They're 99th in offensive SP plus. That's not good, but they were bottom five for a majority of the year. So they are improving. I know it's against Northwestern. I know it's against Purdue, but they're, they're scoring points, not at an exceptionally high rate, but they're scoring more points than they were. It's not as laughably bad. Now, Brian Ferentz is still should be fired, should be gone. He is not a good coordinator whatsoever. Spencer Petrus garbage. Just this offense is garbage, but they're doing better than they were. And that's important to note. Wisconsin, 54th in offensive SP plus. We kind of joke about like, oh, those this Wisconsin offense, and no, they're they're fine. They're not great, but they're fine. I don't trust Graham Mertz, but they're okay. Um, and that's why uh, I kind of like the over in this game. Well, how I know it's, not? it's I know only it's 35 for God's sake. <laughs> I know, but I've I've done well betting against these absurdly low totals with sure. Iowa. Because they don't hit any. We talked about the Cyhawk game in week two, and it had a point total of like 36, and it still went way under. Um, Aggregate power ratings think these teams are about even. Uh, It favors Iowa by less than half a point at home. I kind of understand that Kinnick's a great place to play. Iowa's a, or I'm sorry, Wisconsin is a rival. Uh, This is a blackout. It's sold out, 2.30 kickoff uh, central. So it's going to be a good crowd. It's going to be a juice crowd, good home field advantage there. So that's interesting to note. Um, am I betting Iowa with the points? No, absolutely not. I don't trust anything that they do, but, uh, I, I kind of want to look at the total. I just to back up why I'm betting over 35 is because there's been some movement on this total, uh, between about 36 and a half and 35 and a half down to 35. And every time it hits 35, it gets buyback. 
So I'm going to be a part of that buyback when it hits the 35, buy it kind of at the low watermark. Um, I am going to take over 35. And when this game finishes with 16 total scored points, I'm going to look back and be like, that was so stupid. Yeah, well, I, I agree <laughs> with you that when the total is this low, every point matters. So again, betting best practices here. Don't just take the 35 and a half if that's what your book has. Go to another book that has the 35, and if you don't have an account, open it up. You'll get an awesome sign-up bonus at thelines.com if you just go to the college football page and find the best total on this one under the column that you want and click on the button. You'll get maybe even a free bet here. I was going to say, yeah, you could could use a free bet. (laughs) Yeah, totally, because it is – it would not shock me in the least if the total score, the final score of this game is 19 to 16 and we have 35 points in this game. Yeah, which which is also important because 35 is a square uh, multiple of seven. So it's kind of a key figure in amongst itself. I mean, it's it's more of a commonly landed upon. I mean, 21, 14, it's a it's more commonly landed upon total than, say, 32, 33, 36. So, yeah, it, even so the, the 35 is moving off of that. Here. Yeah. So even the 35, the 35 and a half, even the half point off that. Yeah, absolutely. Don't settle for it. Uh, find, find that 35. I found it at Caesars. All right, let's move on to a game that has a total almost double that of Wisconsin and Iowa. We are in the Big 12 now, 7 p.m. kickoff on ESPN on Saturday. TCU at Texas. Texas, a seven-point home favorite in this one, over-under of 65. We talked about this a little bit earlier with TCU's playoff chances, Brett, but if they want to make the playoff, this is the big upset they're going to have to pull. Yes, uh, the aggregate power ratings like Texas by five and a half, five point seven points, uh, which is less than that seven. And again, seven's a key betting figure, so that's important. We've seen what Texas can play like against their big opponents. We've seen them step up to the plate against Alabama, spe- specifically defensively. Uh, note: Alabama did kind of beat themselves in that game with a ton of penalties, um, but then they also blew the doors off of Oklahoma. And I know Oklahoma's not that good a football team, and they were playing terrible football at the time. But that is one of the biggest rivalries in college football. So we see what Texas can come to the plate with. Now, after that Oklahoma game, I have to give a shout out to Shahan J. Raja, I believe it is. I'm so, I'm so sorry. I definitely botched the pronunciation of his name on Twitter. Quinn Ewers, since playing in the Red River shootout, fifth, less than 51% completion and 6.5 yards per attempt. He is not playing very well at the moment. I looking at the schedule he played against. It wasn't a typical, particularly scary schedule Uh, played just horribly against Oklahoma state whose defense has regressed a lot. So I don't know if I'm looking at this Texas offense in the same light as I would in that Oklahoma game Um, or even, you know, Alabama where Ewers showed flashes before getting hurt um, and not playing most of that. Uh, an injury for TCU, Quentin Johnson, uh, Quentin Johnston. Sorry about that. Uh, prolific wide receiver, one of the best in the country. Projected first round draft pick right now in the latest mocks. He returned to practice, but it is worth noting that he missed most of last week with an ankle injury, an ankle sprain. So even if he comes back, he may not be playing at 100. percent And that's important because he's the one that just shreds defenses deep. Uh, just an incredible downfield threat. Uh, TCU, we don't talk about their defense a whole lot, uh, at least not in a good light, but they do have Travias Hodges Tomlinson, who's a very good corner. Um, He can match up pretty well with the Xavier Worthies, the Jordan Whittingtons, but the problem is, is they only have one Hodges Tomlinson. They don't have two, but they need two to defend both Xavier Worthy and Jordan Whittington. 
Now, the bind is once you do get on those guys, you have to deal with Bijan Robinson, who ran for over 200 yards on TCU last year, albeit a significantly worse run defense. But I'm still not really inspired by their by, by their defensive front. I, I'm just not. So I think Bijan Robinson is going to find some success here. Uh, even if Quinn Ewers isn't playing all that well, they can kind of rely on him. It's just a fun note. I, I wouldn't use it as a betting trend whatsoever, but TCU is seven and one uh, when they play in a game featured by college game day, which is the best in the FBS. Just an interesting note. Again, don't take that with you. Um, but TCU, they have something to play for. We mentioned it. This is the biggest game of their season. If they want to remain in the college football playoff conversation, if they want to win a big 12 title, which would be an incredible turnaround from last year, if they want to finish undefeated, which is in the cards now, they have to win this game. And I don't think Texas is a team that steps up to the plate to spoil the other team's party. They play when they have a big blockbuster team in town. And TCU is a top four team. And these teams have played forever. It's a big rivalry. But I don't believe that TCU coming to town carries the same weight as Alabama or when they play Oklahoma. It's just a matter of the brand. And, and Texas does focus on that as much as they will tell you that they don't. They do care about the helmets on the other sideline. Um, so I'm going to take TCU plus seven. I haven't seen a lot of movement around this, uh, which kind of sucks, but you can find TCU seven anywhere. Again, they have something to play for. And even if they don't win this game outright, I don't think that they're going to lose by more than a touchdown. And I'll just echo that if, if you think they're a live dog in this one and this is the the toughest game left on the regular season schedule, then I would suggest betting the money line here plus 225 is the best available as we record on Wednesday morning and roll that over each game. And you're going to get better than seven to one on them to make the college football playoff. So um, if we look at the big 12 standings here, Brett, who's their most likely opponent? If they win this game, who's their most likely opponent in the big 12 title game here? Do you think? Uh, it's, it's so hard because it's just fallen off a cliff lately because it was Kansas state, but Adrian Martinez has been in and out of the lineup and you know, they've lost a couple of games. Uh, here's Texas, but like, am I going to sit here and tell you that Texas is, is going to play in the big 12 title game? No, Oklahoma state's fallen off since Spencer Sanders got hurt. Yeah, that's what's interesting, because if TCU does win out, that means by definition, they're going to hand Texas a third conference loss. They're going to hand Baylor a third conference yes. loss. So yep. I guess we're looking at Kansas State potentially in or the drop Big the state and say game. Kansas. Do what's we drop that? the state? And, do we drop the state and say Kansas? I hope so. It's not oh, going to be. Oh man, I hope so. <laughs> Can you imagine uh, the Kansas Jayhawks in a Big Twelve title game? Exactly. That, what the that Big would 12 be incredible. For when they instituted a Big Twelve title game. Well, they they are undefeated when Jalen Daniels plays, um, but they they have a route. I'm not going to say that they're going to win, but they have a route because they play both Texas and Kansas State who are the I, only I would, two teams above them. Baylor's going to play TCU. Yeah. Um, although, you know what? Baylor has a tiebreaker over Kansas. That's important. So Yeah, so I guess winner of this Baylor-Kansas <laughs> State game this week is in the driver's seat to get to the Big 12 title game. Yeah. Um, unless Texas wins this week, and then they, I think Texas... Then it'll probably be a Texas-TCU rematch. Yeah, then we might be looking at a rematch here. So interesting, but like, but yeah. like I said earlier, with the, with the TCU route to the playoff, Baylor and Kansas State don't overly scare me with TCU, and we'll find out with TCU and Baylor here in two weeks, and we already found out with TCU and Kansas State. Yeah, 
Texas has the head to head over Kansas State. Their final game of the regular season is home against Baylor. So a lot of a lot of head to head tiebreakers here still in play. Yes. Might might have a three way tiebreaker where no head to head solves it. So we'll have to figure out uh what happens after that. Still a lot of games left to be played here, but obviously TCU has everything they want right in front of them in terms of both Big 12 title hopes and also the college football playoff. All right, let's go to the the after dark window, I'll call it. And it's not the Pac-12, but it is out west. San Jose State at San Diego State, a 10.30 p.m. kickoff on FS1. San Jose State, a two and a half point road favorite with a total of 41 and a half in this one. As we mentioned before, Brett, not as appealing of an overall slate in college football <laughs> as last week. But again, you must see something in this one that, that has piqued your interest. Yeah, I was debating between putting Alabama at Ole Miss or Washington, Oregon here. Nah, San Jose State at San Diego State. <laughs> Team me up for this. FS1 action after dark. Um, if you stay up for this one, good for you. I probably won't just because it's so freaking late, but I do like San Jose state in this game. Now, uh, San Diego state, they're 122nd offensive SP plus and points scored per drive. Uh, they're just, they're abysmal. They, they got by last year because they had a really terrific defense, but then they lost uh, a very good linebacker and a very good edge rusher from that team. And they're just not quite where they were last year. And they're also not beating teams like they probably should. They beat Hawaii by two because they only scored 16 points on the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors defense, worst in the country by a wide margin. Um, it is worth noting, though, that San Diego State is 4-1 and at home, and their only loss was to Arizona, who I know Arizona's not great, but it is a Pac-12 team. And it was the first game of the year. Uh, so they're, four, they, they're on a four-game home winning streak. San Jose State, though, they're just marginally better on both offense and defense. They're playing better football lately than uh, San Diego State has been. This number is starting to become juiced at FanDuel and DraftKings, and because it's under field goal, that does matter. Uh, I'll make it quick. I'm betting San Jose State minus two and a half. I just like them in this spot a lot more. I think they're the better football team. Any other uh, final thoughts here before we wrap up here? We are in the after dark window. So uh, yes. anything in the Pac-12 that stands out to you? Yes. And it's not a bet. I just want to throw it out there that Arizona at UCLA carries a 77 and a half point total. That's it. That, that's, that's the only mark. That's a big number. That is a silly big number. 77 and a half points. So uh, does either so team field over, 11 right? defenders? <laughs> I feel like I have to, but the, thing, but the thing is, is like, I don't have the, 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 the gut to be able to go in here and bet this under because I could realistically see this being a 50 to 30 final. Like it's just, yeah, it's, it's absurd that there's a 77 and a half point total. And that's why I love college football. Final thought for me, we were talking about tiebreaker scenarios for the Big 12 title game. If it, we wound up having a you know three teams with the same number of conference losses there behind TCU. And uh, obviously, head-to-head is, is first. If one team has beaten the other two, then they get in. But if, it, if round robin doesn't cover it, then we get in a situation where those three teams will be compared against the remaining teams in the conference standings from top to bottom. So you take out the teams that are tied and you look at their record against the rest of the conference essentially to try and do it. And if that somehow still doesn't solve it, then you're looking at scoring differential among the tied teams, the teams or the team or teams with the lowest 
differential between points scored and points allowed in games versus the tied team oh my god is eliminated from consideration now we're getting into like world cup goal oh differential tiebreakers here so hopefully head-to-heads or at least head-to-head against the rest of the conference schedule solves it but that's like how deep you can go here where you're looking at how much did you beat the other teams that you're tied with to settle who might be the second team in the Big 12 title game. So a lot of football left to be played, (laughs) including between these teams that are currently tied with two losses in the Big 12. But I thought it was at least interesting to note that uh, so everybody has an understanding if you're looking at Big 12 futures as well. Uh, that's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks for watching, everybody. We enjoy doing this every week. If you enjoy the content, be sure to hit that subscribe button, hit the like button. Let us know in the comments if you're watching on YouTube who you are betting on this week in college football. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, be sure to leave us a five-star review. It does us a lot of good. Try and get a few more people each week that can see this podcast and benefit from it. So uh, thanks so much. We appreciate it. Best of luck with your college football bets here in week number 11.